And if your name is Susan, say hello. Hey, Susan. Happy to have you. Okay. So I'm pulling up my notes, but I wanted to ask. So we're covering, this is going to be a two-parter. Do, do, do. And I feel it's very fitting. So have you heard and or seen the new Barbie trailer movie? First of all, that trailer looks fantastic and I'm very excited to watch it. Second of all, we are going to be, have you ever heard the name Paul Bernardo or and Carla Homoka? Are we covering the Ken and Barbie killers? We are covering the Ken and Barbie killers. Hey. Yes. So for all of our Canadian listeners out there, this one riles you up. It's going to be a two-parter. I will give a trigger warning at the top of next episode. Just a trigger warning for rape and sexual assaults of minors. There is obviously murder involved. And very gruesome and graphic details will be relayed. So just... If essay and underage essay or rape and or very violent sex is triggering for you, that will happen a lot more in next episode, not today. We're going to cover a lot of background today, but just wanted to put that out there that this is an emotionally heavy episode and anyone from Canada knows who Carla Homolka is. And it's safe to say that Carla Homolko is one of the most, or if not the most, hated woman in Canada. I can say that right now. Canadians are not happy to know her. They're not happy to claim her. And especially because she is out free and walking about today and living her life. And that says a lot, you guys, about Canadians, that they love everybody. We all know how nice Canada is, but it says a lot when they really, really hate you. Yeah. So I'll cite my sources and we're going to jump right into this doom and gloom topic. So the sources that I used were Murderpedia, criminalminds.fandom.com, Ranker.com. I also watched the documentary The Deal with the Devil from 1997. You can also find it on YouTube. I went to the account MFCSC, so you can watch the full thing there podcasts I listened to were Serial Killers, Canadian True Crime, and Serial Killer Cafe. We're going to cover Paul Bernardo and his background, and then Carla Homolka and her background, and up to the point where they meet. Paul Bernardo, which I will cover a, maybe a little bit, but more so next next episode, he's also known as the Scarborough Rapist. So he's not only part of the canon barbie killers he's also the scarborough rapist who he was before during while he was with carla so there's two whole parts to him and they overlap but we're going to start with a little bit of overview and then we're gonna dive into paul so paul and carla actually met at a hotel bar on october 17th 1987 carla was 17 and paul was 23 which is very on brand for him he was totally pedophile and he liked virginal underage women just for underage girls i said shay i should say together they would murder three women and paul would obviously go on to commit other crimes before and during his time with carla even ones she was unaware of their victims together 
would include Tammy Homolka, who was 15, and Carla's younger sister. Leslie Maffei, or Mahaffey, who was 14, and a friend of Carla's. And then Kristen French, who was 15, who unfortunately was just a girl they picked up off the street. Paul was born August 27th, 1964, to Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo in Scarborough, Canada. He is a Virgo. He's also the year of the dragon for our Chinese Zodiac fans. He was the youngest of three children and definitely displayed baby syndrome. So he was totally the baby of the family. It also didn't help that his mother like favorited him. And that comes into play a lot. So not only was he the baby, but he was the favorite, right? As I had mentioned before, he was also known as the Scarborough Rapist, and he would have a confirmed rape count of 18 women, not including the murders. So that's also under his belt. So he came from a family of wealth, so he wanted for nothing. He had a bunch of affluence. He was known to be very smart, known to be very happy, polite, a very good-looking child with blonde hair and blue eyes, very Ken-like, right? They obviously get the name as the Ken and Barbie killer because when you put them together, they look like a very Ken and Barbie couple. He actually did have an issue. His tongue was attached to the floor of his mouth until he was five years old when he had a surgery to actually correct that. So he struggled to communicate for a long time and he actually had to take speech classes, but he would eventually struggle with a stutter. He would eventually overcome that, but that was just something he struggled through during his childhood. His dad was very abusive to his wife specifically, and the children were physically and verbally abused, but he would go on to perpetuate the cycle, not only towards his own mother, but towards his wife. His father, the wonderful man that he was, not only was abusive to his wife, in children, he was actually he was also sexually abusing his oldest daughter, and he was abusing her from the time that she was nine years old until 1975, when he was finally charged and arrested because he molested and fondled a young girl who wasn't his daughter. So, we saw this last time. Who was it? I think it was someone you covered. Was it the truck stop killer that you covered whose father yeah. was arrested? Yeah, where it's like a familial thing almost, too, where it's like, you, you almost wonder, like, genetically, like, are they predisposed to it, you know? Yep. What I think makes Paul's situation a little different is I don't know about the truck stop killer situation, but what pissed me off was his mother knew what her husband was doing to her daughter. And it actually wasn't, like, hidden in the home. Like, Paul knew what was going on. Like, everybody knew. But she just turned a blind eye to it. She ignored the abuse her daughter was going through and the suffering, and she just allowed it to continue, thus enforcing to Paul that this kind of behavior, this torment, and this treatment towards women and girls is okay. I mean, so many times in any kind of abusive situation, usually, I mean... Nine out of 10 times people know about it or somebody knows about it and just lets it happen. And it sucks. It really does because, you know, you wonder too, like if there was a strong, strong voice against what was happening, could things have been different? You know, 
I mean, literally almost every single time somebody does know about it. Like even the truck stop killer, his wife knew that she he was going about doing things and had that, those sadistic sexually wants and needs and stuff like that. And she just kind of let it happen. I definitely always believe that when there are cases like this that usually somebody does know and it's it's fucked up because in my opinion like i i don't know how somebody could not say something right exactly so marilyn paul's mother she became at not long after her husband's incarceration became increasingly depressed she gained a lot of weight and eventually she became like a recluse she thinks she like moved to the basement she withdrew herself from her family and just became one in herself. Not long after that, following an argument she had with Paul when he was 16 years old, she finally came out and told him that his father actually isn't his father. He was the product of an affair that she had with a high school boyfriend. And this was not long after her first two children were born. So this threw Paul for a total whirlwind and it infuriated him. It, I think it kind of gave him an inferiority complex because now I had a feeling like he had this perfect, he had a perfect life, perfect family image. He had wealth, he had beauty. And, you know, girls in high school were doting on him and like fawning over him and he was just everything. And now he's learned that his father isn't his father and he's, half in this family and it just made him outwardly express his rage towards his mom so he lashed out at his mom in the exact same way that his father did so he started to speak to his mother the way that his father did calling her things like whore fat cow and slob so he would berate her and he would scream at her the exact same way that his dad did again perpetuating that same cycle right? Eventually, he would graduate from Sir Wilfred Laurier, Laurier Collegiate Institute, Collegiate Institute, basically high school. And he began to work for Amway. Do you remember Amway? <laughs> You've never heard of Amway? No. Okay. So it, here's the interesting thing about Amway. Either people know about it or they don't. And it was interesting to me because Amway's been around since like the 60s and John had never heard of it. Amway's kind of like one of the OG MLMs that became like a legit business, but is still totally an MLM. Like you buy all these overpriced house products from us and you can come be your rep. And then if you get other people, you'll get a commission off of their shit. Like you actually don't make money off of Amway. You just, you spend, a, it's an MLM basically. And it's still around. Amway is still very much a thing, but it's a sales job. So he starts to work for Amway and it really helped him to cultivate his sales skills, which would come in handy when he's trying to like woo girls and things like that. So it just kind of helps him build his like suave demeanor, right? Very Gaston-like, I think of Paul Bernard. The eye roll is fabulous. Kimata doesn't like the videos don't <laughs> catch when like a movement happens. It's only when like speaking occurs that you see me because the eye roll was pretty great. So to make your cringe cringier, not only did he learn his sales tactics from Amway, but him and his friends would take 
techniques they learned from books and practice them. What was it? He, oh, yeah. Techniques they learned from books by famous people, not just how to pick up women, but by famous people, how to how to become like them and like how to like become like a celebrity and make women like them. And they would practice these techniques on the women in the local bar to like <laughs> get them to just like, oh, my gosh, like it's just so cool and so mysterious and so handsome. Women, why do women like this? Why do we allow things like this to happen? At least I'm not, I, I mean, I don't think I'm like that. Usually if like a guy tries to do something that's like really over the top to like get my attention, I'm just like, again, I roll, you know, that doesn't. Yeah, that's why I make up a fake name. Oh yeah. Shout out to mm-hmm. one of my old coworkers, Nikki. If she listens to us, I don't know, but I thought it was hilarious. Hi, like, Nikki. <laughs> We have like an alter ego at the bar, right? Especially when somebody's bothering you, you know, you don't want to give your name or whatever. And they're just being persistent, whatever. So it occurred to me like one of the one times, because like she, for whatever reason, struggled to remember my name. Like I'm just wearing a name badge, everything. She knew who I was. We had talked multiple times and, you know, we had a work relationship. And I think it was because she said it was because she had a friend this name and she said I looked so similar to her. She's really funny. And so she would call me Summer. Which, if you all know me, know me, that is not my personality is a summer. I'm definitely a Shannon. And, but when she kept calling me that, I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going to use it for. I was like, Nikki, you've you've created my bar name. My alter ego bar name is Summer. Yep. So we, that's, that's my little, little slide blur. We all have one. That's mine. And thank you, Nikki, for that. Because I think it's hilarious that I'm not a summer. Mine is Jessica. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I like that. You're yeah, not a Jessica. She just kind of came to mind. Like, but it's like also kind of fitting. You know, at the same time when it's really not you, it makes it even better because it's actually even more fitting than. It's fabulous. Jessica is never where I'm from and I'm always there as a tourist on vacation and I leave the next day. So that is, <laughs> that's Jessica. It's fabulous. So. They're practicing all their suave techniques on the women uh, and wooing, right? So he's learning all of these basically grooming techniques. Like, oh, this is how you get women and girls to like you. It mainly girl, girls, not not full grown women because they're not actually adults yet. So eventually, he begins to attend the University of Toronto in Scarborough. Okay, so when he's attending the university of Toronto. In Scarborough, he was having dark sexual fantasies. We see this happening a lot. And he enjoyed, as he's in college, he starts to have a lot of sexual experiences with girlfriends and women or girls or students his own age. He starts to discover that he really enjoys humiliating the women that he dates not only in private, but in public. And he enjoys forcing them to have rough and violent sex with him, which if you don't know, if you have to force anyone into any sexual act, it's sexual assault and or rape. So if they say no, just leave it alone. And he would even go so far as to beat them sometimes during sex. So he really enjoys the violence that comes with the sex. And he did this to many, many women. 
to the point where two girls actually filed restraining orders against him because a few of them were like, I'm going to report you. Like they were I'm going to go to the school, I'm going to report you. And he actually threatened a few of them into silence. And a couple of them actually filed restraining orders against him while he was in college. So sold start. I know you're loving him more and more. I can see the, I can see the love in your eyes, not the pure hatred. Now we're going to talk a little about Carla. So that's where Paul is at. Because it's not long after that that he starts to dip into his Scarborough rapist persona. So Carla was born May 4th, 1970 to Carol and or Carl and Dorothy Homoka in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada. She's a Taurus and she's the year of the dog for our Chinese Zodiac fans. She's the oldest of three children, so she's the opposite of Paul. She was very intelligent. She had an IQ of 131, placing her in the top 98 percentile. And similar to Paul, she was very smart. She was beautiful with blonde hair and blue eyes and was known to be very polite. She came from a very well-off family. Her family really loved her. She actually had a really good childhood. She was known to be controlling of about everything and it had to be her way or no way at all especially when playing with her friends and even her schoolwork it had to be perfect she hated being seen as weak and she hated or she had to take charge and she had a very like take charge personality so she was a leader <laughs> a take charge personality and a girl means she was a very big leader but she was controlling. Like one of the podcasts I listened to, I think it was Serial Killers, even said that if her friends, like if they were playing dolls and she brought her dolls, if they didn't play the way she wanted them to play, she would take her dolls and leave. Like they had to do it her way. So she was very controlling. They called her bossy and all that. She was frequently hospitalized as a child due to her extreme asthma. So she had really bad asthma. And Anything that would cause big excitement, so super exciting things or frightening moments would trigger her asthma. So they theorized that the fact that she had no control over these very traumatizing situations heightened her need to control other aspects of her life. So there's a thought there. Like I said, she had an average childhood and until about ninth grade, she totally changed. And I feel like we can all relate a little bit to ninth grade Carla. She cut her hair. She swapped out her cute, feminine, preppy girl look for dark colors, emo stuff, and even went so far as to take up self-harm. While I never took up self-harm, I knew a few people that did, and it's not a trend, and it's not a fashionable thing to do, and I'm not saying that it is, but I remember cutting my hair and being gothic and seen and wearing the dark eyeliner and all the fun stuff. But yeah, she went so far as to like start cutting herself and doing self-harm. And it made her friends kind of concerned, but she just said, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. And I'm just shedding that bullshit. And this is who I am. When in reality, she was just being a rebellious teen. Like we've all been a rebellious teen, right? Definitely. Definitely. She was in her rebellious teen phase and she was going through a lot right? We're all going through our hormones. We're all trying to figure out who we are, where we belong in the universe. 
what do we even like? Like, who are we? Like, we don't know who the fuck we are when we're 16 years old, and neither did Carla. But what she did find out is she had a really big interest in rough and violent sex. Can you see where I'm going with this? Oof. I also think it's a little bit interesting now that I guess it kind of makes sense if you really think about it, that knowing what he was like and what he liked to do during sex, which was like belittle somebody and make somebody feel bad and like, you know, you know, embarrass them or whatever it is. The fact that the two of them would end up together because when you were talking about how she needed to be in control and she needed to have the power. So it's like hard to, to believe that they would end up together in a certain way, which almost makes you wonder. It's like maybe because she was so opinionated and controlling and strong that it's almost what brought them together because he was so used to having probably like these more submissive females or that just let this shit happen and she was the one that was like uh-uh and then maybe it's like oh wait a minute you're kind of like me in a lot of ways and then maybe we can make this work you know it wasn't like a lot of people that we hear about that are like that that their spouses or whoever they're with is very submissive and they just allow things to happen whereas like I wonder maybe it was it was more like the opposite effect where it was like that's what drew him to her. And you're actually very onto something. A lot of this actually plays into each other, and we're gonna touch on a lot of that because a lot of that is true. And a lot of that actually changes because he a big thing about Paul that we find is that he doesn't want someone super submissive. He likes to take things from women, like he likes to take their virginity, especially. And he wants it to take things from women or girls by force. He doesn't want someone who's just willing to let it happen. And in the beginning, Carla become Carla is that. And it will change over time. And, you know, anyone who's been through a very abusive relationship can understand how you can change over time, right? So we'll get there, but you're definitely on the right track. Uh, she became so interested in this that she even exaggerated the loss of her virginity to her friends by claiming that Doug, hi, Doug, to all the Dougs out there, drop a comment, say hello. But she told her friend that the first time she had sex with Doug was filled with drugs, was filled with really rough sex. She said that Doug did a bunch of cocaine and he like strangled her and stuff, but he was like, actually, none of that actually happened. So he actually came forward and was like, yeah, I'm Doug. He like hit his person. I think that none of that. He like actually denied any of that happening. So she overplayed this dramatized fantasy in a way at her first time. So what prompted this sudden shift in her personality, right? Like, well, what prompts any rebellious teen? Attention, mostly. But some sources say she was bored with her mundane, imperfect life. Like she knew how to be the perfect daughter, the perfect sister, the perfect friend. She knew how to do all that and she was bored. So she wanted to change things up and shake the status quo. So she totally switched up her personality. Some also say that she, it was another way for her to exert her need for control in her life. As I had mentioned before, she had really severe asthma for the majority of her childhood and she didn't have control over that. But she did have control over her personality and her interests so she could decide who she was and she could control that well she can't control her health her health she can control everything else it's also said that she's also doing this for attention like i said because she wasn't getting attention from her father who was also not an alcoholic but he was also a traveling salesman for work so he wasn't home a lot the 
problem was when he was home, he was drinking and screaming at Carla about her behavior. Now, I know exactly what that's like. Uh, I can really relate to Carla on that aspect. I mean, I never really went that far as like I needed the attention from my father. But I know what it's like to have a drunk for a dad and have them scream at you for absolutely everything and for it to be for no reason. So I can relate and I can understand. They do say like the first time this probably happened to her, it was probably really emotionally traumatizing and triggering and it was really upsetting for her but the more that it happened the more what did they say the more she found pleasure in it because if it wasn't anything else it was attention even if it was negative attention it was attention and affection from her father that she wasn't getting otherwise so if that's what it took that's what it took for her which didn't couple well with the fact that she already kind of was attracted to that kind of behavior. Now, she wasn't in any, any way turned on by her dad, so let's not misconstrue that, but it's, you know, rebellious teenage daughter stuff. I know what that was like, and I can relate to her on a level. And that's, and her relationship with Paul up until they kill her sister, I can, I can relate to her. At that point, I cannot. <laughs> so now we're going to get to where they meet Paul. So now we have a little bit about who Paul was. Now we know a little bit about who. Carla was. Now, just mind you, I haven't touched on it, but Paul has already committed some crimes before meeting Carla, but none that resulted in death. So anyway, she meets Paul. And like I said before, she met Paul at a hotel bar on October 17th, 1987. She was actually in town for a convention. It was a school thing. She told her parents that's where she was going. It was a school event. She went with some friends and she was just drinking in the hotel bar downstairs where she met 23-year-old Paul when she was 17 years old. In a matter of 10 minutes, they were flirting, swooning. He was, you know, hugging her hips and they were going upstairs to her room to have consensual sex. That was happening when they totally met. And they had the kind of sex that both of them liked. He liked to be dominant and aggressive and demeaning and she was totally into it and they both were like oh my god i found my soulmate and that was the downward spiral of their entire toxic relationship from the get-go double thumbs right what what could go wrong oh what could go wrong so much so (laughs) oh so it's gonna get better so they begin they begin dating like right away and only one week after they started dating, Paul comes to Carla's house to meet her parents. Now, Paul also lived two hours away. They immediately fall in love with Paul. They think he's great. He's beautiful. He's handsome. He's an accountant. He's smart. He's financially stable. He's great for their daughter, besides the fact that, you know, he's older than her and she's not legal. But that's besides the point. And it gets to a point where he's driving two hours every way to see her on the weekends. He would only come to see her on the weekends. And it got to a point where her parents finally allowed him to stay the night. They were like, okay, you can sleep on the couch, right? Thinking that, you know, he's a good boy. He won't do anything. But as soon as they went to bed, he went into her room and they would like have sex, right? Like that's, that's what they did. Duh. Duh. (laughs) Obviously. But what wasn't great was he... Where's my note? Yes. 
he started to love bomb her. I mean, it was pretty obvious from the start. He started to love bomb her. You know, he would love bomb her with attention and gifts and everything like that. And for those of you that don't know what love bombing is, love bombing is when a partner overwhelms their partner with gifts. This is also a definition. With gifts, affection, and praise to get all of their attention and gain and maintain control. They bombard them, overload them with all this, and then they totally cut them off and they totally take it back. And then you're like, wait, what happened? Like, why? What's going on? And it's a form of control that you've changed and you have to do X, Y, and Z before you can get who I was in the beginning of our relationship. But that's never who I was. It was just a means to control you. Oh, so it is such manipulation. Yeah. And especially of a minor, like Carla didn't know who she was. And I, and I hate to say that because I like to think I had a really strong idea of who I was at 17, even though I'm not that person anymore. I knew who I was then, but like, let's be honest, like you're still a teenager and this dude's 23 and he's love bombing the shit out of her. He's honed in on how he does this. Like he's a predator and he's targeted her. Yeah. So only in a couple of weeks, it only took like two weeks, like I said, before he had totally won over her entire family, her parents, her two sisters, her two younger sisters, and was like sleeping at their house and doing all those things. But the love bombing would soon end and Paul's personality would really start coming out. So the gaslighting would start, right? Paul was really upset with Carla because she wasn't a virgin when they met. He was really mad about that. And one of the things that he told her is that because she wasn't a virgin when they met, she owed him her sister's virginity because he would openly flirt with her 15-year-old sister. Barf. Yeah. That's just enough. I mean... In a sense, poor Carla, because like, that's not something she could just fix. You know what I mean? Like, that's shitty. Like, when somebody's like, I hate when, like, especially it's like, it's like significant other, like, whoever it is or somebody important in your life that's upset about somebody that you literally can't change. That just sucks. Yes. But as a sibling, if your boyfriend starts openly flirting with your sister, even if they're younger, regardless, starts flirting with your sister and then tells you that their virginity is owed to them because you weren't a virgin when they met, like, bye. Like, <laughs> oh my God, so many red flags. Like, get the fuck out of my house. You know what I mean? Like, as a sister, yeah. sister mode, right? Like, uh-uh, we're not doing this. But no, that's not what Carla did. So that's where her and I differ. But to point out, like, people who have never been in situations like this, people who've never been love-bombed, people who haven't been in manipulative relationships, who have been in abusive relationships, and I hope you never do, it, they don't understand, like, well, you could just leave. It's like, it's actually not that simple. Like, there's so much more behind it. It's never that simple. You know, it's like telling a battered spouse, like, why don't you just leave? It's never that simple. As easy as it sounds, it's not. And just to put into perspective, her friends in school got really worried about her because she totally changed how she looked. She changed how she ate. So she went from looking like seeing email to going back to being really preppy. If she had a really bad haircut, she would change it for pull. So she 
But back to kind of being like with this Barbie type, she went from, you know, doing whatever she wanted to eating salads and she wore only clothes that Paul would like. Like if she was good and she did what Paul wanted and she acted how Paul wanted, he would reward her. And she wanted to maintain that love and that affection because she felt like that was her soulmate and that she owed this to him. Like, didn't know him shit, but whatever. Her friends got more concerning because they found a note inside of Carla's notebook. Now, they're like, we don't know if she wrote this note or if Paul wrote this note or like Paul said these things to her. But it kind of sounds like Paul said these things to her. And she wrote them down verbatim as almost like a mantra. And I'm going to read this to you. So end I quote. Never let anyone know our relationship is anything but perfect. Don't talk back to Paul. Always smile when you're with Paul. Be a perfect girlfriend for Paul. If Paul asks for a drink, bring him one quickly and happily. Remember you're stupid. Remember you're ugly. Remember you're fat. I don't know why I tell you these things because you never change. End quote. My God. That is it. If I didn't know, like, all the things that obviously she did, I would feel bad for her right now. Like, that, that's a shitty thing, severe mantra. But, of course, you know, like I said, doesn't excuse what she's done. And I know you'll get into that. But, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not a, I mean, by any means, healthy relationship whatsoever. Yeah. And that's what makes this case, for me, such a split is because, like, up until she flips a switch and she like goes to the point of no return. I can totally sympathize with her. I'm like, God, I've been you. God, I've been there. God, I know those feelings, those thoughts. I I, I have been you for so many years and I want to just like shake you and say, don't do it. But you also didn't go there's a switch. But she did. And then after that, I'm like, red buzzer, like not happening. You know? So... It sucks because it's like she's in high school and this is what she's being subjected to. And this is what she thinks her life has become. And she's not telling anyone, which most people do when they're in abusive relationships, right? They put on this facade of perfect and happy because everyone thinks they're so great together and everyone thinks it's so great. And it's not because then what's usually what? No, go ahead. You talk first. Oh, now I forgot what I was going to say. Continue. I was going to say, because when what what's the first thing people say to you the second you open up to this kind of stuff about this? Why would you let this happen? Why would you put yourself in this situation? Why, why, why you, why you, why you? It's never them. Right. It's always you. Like, why would they tell you? Yeah. Well, and especially since you were talking about how she was basically like a perfectionist so like i'm sure that those thoughts were going through red too like if some if she were to talk about this that then she's not a perfect you know what i mean that's like that that hinders that perfectionism that she has so i totally see where she just played along with us because she does want to see perfect you know and unfortunately society would have been like why are you letting him not like you said saying why is paul doing this you know why is he doing this it's gonna be directed towards her so yeah i get it that's it's as awful as it is but you know it's lining up perfectly what you're describing you know and how this something like this can happen exactly now we have a little bit of insight on how their amazing relationship is going 
it suddenly turned into her wanting to please Paul so much that Paul hated that she became too submissive. As I said before, he wants to take, he doesn't want someone who's super submissive. So he's just like, oh my God. So he was just too, she was too submissive. She was too eager to please. She would do anything he said, even if she didn't want to, because she thought this is what he wanted. So that's when he takes it upon himself to be like, okay, well, I want your sister's virginity. Like, that's the least you owe me. Now, just so everyone knows, at this point in time, Tammy is 15 and Paul is 26. So he's like 11 years older than her. And he's just like, I am deserving of her virginity, which is actually nobody's choice but hers. But whatever. What do I know? Carla was so eager to please him and even encouraged his infatuation with her sister that she broke the blinds on her sister's window so he could peep in on her changing and things like that but before long he would get annoyed and he was like i don't want to just like be a peeping tom i want to actually like do the thing and at this point in time carla had got a job as a vet tech and what did carla do because he was escalating she stole tranquilizers and sedatives from her job yeah you see where i'm going with this you see where i'm going with this so one night in april now mind you her sister doesn't die until december 23rd you know merry christmas so one night in april she drugs tammy's spaghetti sauce she puts valium in it and then tammy passes out in her room, and Paul attempts to rape Tammy. He attempts to rape her while she's passed out, but she starts to kind of like loosely come back and she starts like in consciousness. It freaks him out and he's spooked and he leaves. So there's a failed attempt. Now, what do you think happened after that? Obviously, he was furious with Carla. He blamed her for the failure of his rape of Tammy and said that like she had to make up for it. She had to make it right. So he has just been like hounding her for these all these months and she has the perfect idea. She's like, oh my God, I have the perfect plan. She tells Paul that she's going to gift him her sister's virginity for Christmas. Oh, how sweet. How romantic. The things you do for love. Right? Like, who cares? You've only known your sister for 15 years, but you've only known Paul for how long? Pisha. The love of her life. The love of her life. Bar. What neither one of them anticipated, and this is where we're going to wrap up today's episode, is that this gift that kept on giving would eventually cost Tammy her life. So we're going to stop there. And when we pick this up next time, we're going to kind of go through the train wreck that is Paul and Carla Homolka in their reign of terror together and Paul on his own and the aftermath that would become of this. So that's the beginning of the Ken and Barbie Killer part. Thank you. Hopefully everyone's as triggered as I am. <laughs> yeah. We're already in our rage mode right now. I was kidding. I am at least. I'm like, Ugh. 
how, 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 but you know, I'm also 30 years old and not 17 and have a very different thought process apparently. Yeah. Well, you'll just wait till next time because when I talk to you about like what happens with her sister and how the police down to like the coroner handle it, you're going to be ready to just like throw fists. So just come ready to fight like the next time that we are on. It very takes, it takes very little you to want to throw fists. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a really. So with all that said, thank you guys so much for being here. And um, if you're from Canada, drop a drop a maple leaf in the comments and tell us, you know, how do you feel about Carla Homolka? I know Paul Bernardo was a big part of this, but Carla Homolka is a totally different story. So tell us how you feel. And we will see you guys on the next one. So cheers.